Hello dudes of Kung Fu fans. Uh, by now you've probably most likely heard the devastating news that my friend, my brother, my podcast partner in crime, Big Sean, has passed on. It's impossible for me to imagine the dudes of Kung Fu podcast without him as Big Sean was the podcast. We were like the odd couple, like Felix and Unger. And I know that that reference is dated, but Big Sean would have gotten it and that's good enough for me. The massive outpouring of love from all of you since this terrible news has been amazing and I appreciate all the messages and comments you've all left us at the Dudes of Kung Fu pages and to me personally. As fate would have it, this would be the last episode that Big Sean and I would record together. And we recorded it on what would have been Bruce Lee's 80th birthday on November 27th, 2020. This was just a few short weeks before Sean passed. We originally intended it to be a special Bruce Lee episode for our Patreon supporters and we did something we rarely did. We did a video recording of the episode. How bittersweet it is in hindsight that we made the rare decision to do video rather than just audio on what would be, what would be our last episode together. Before the episode, Big Sean told me that he wasn't feeling 100% and he wanted me to carry most of the episode, meaning I get to talk a lot. How I wish I could go back and have one more conversation with him and let him do all the talking. So it's for that reason that Big Sean doesn't speak as much as he normally does and so I apologize that all you have to hear is so much of me. But he does say some great things and it is very much a normal episode of Dudes. We oddly enough discuss Bruce Lee's death and in hindsight I know it feels like an odd topic for his last episode but as we say, it is what it is. Towards the end of the episode he sent me a text while we were recording to let me know that he suddenly didn't feel well and he had to cut it short. He said I should finish the episode myself, but I didn't want to. Even before he passed, I just feel it's not the dudes without him. After he passed on Monday, December 14th, I decided to finally edit the video, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done. As a result, I made the difficult decision to cut the last part of the episode off, as in hindsight, I could start to see that Big Sean was not feeling well. I cut the episode off at a point which made sense to me. Although I was in the middle of a story, none of it is as important as just hearing Big Sean one last time. So I decided to end the episode with Big Sean saying, awesome. What I wouldn't do to have one more conversation with him. Finally, on that Monday night after he passed, I, I dreamt of Big Sean and I rarely dream of anyone. And in that dream, Big Sean and I, we were talking at his place and we both didn't say it, but we knew that he had passed on. It was unspoken. And despite that, we had a normal conversation. He was looking healthy. He even jumped up and down on his couch, if you can imagine that. He seemed happy showed me a video of him wrestling in his younger days and finally when it was time for me to go I felt I needed to say something to him like I might not get the chance again. As we left his place I turned to him and said I don't think I can do the podcast without you man. He turned to me and said in that distinctive Brooklyn way why the hell not to which I replied because there's no dude of kung fu. And then I woke up and so with that I give you the final episode with Big Sean of Dudes of Kung Fu. And that's all I got to say about that. Hope you enjoy it. And I'll see you soon. You want to go live and just, we're here. We're ready to go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dudes of Kung Fu. Hey, I am man. Big Sean Madigan. And that ugly person over there is Alex. Don't let him scare you, little kids. It's, it, he, it, that really is Alex. <laughs> well, this was one of those episodes where I was like, oh, we're going to do a video. I should probably, like, I don't know, make myself look good for Sean. Uh, but then I looked at the time and then I was like, nah, forget it. <laughs> I, today I did my um, my heavy bag routine and uh, a pretty tough row. And so I'm all sweaty and gross from that. Work. I just came straight home to do this. So uh, Friday's kind of like my, my heavy bag day. And like um, 
I call it my sexy training day. Like, you know, all the cool stuff when you see like MMA fighters doing like, you know, battle ropes and jumping up off of this, like all the cool shit that looks like that's, I do that on Friday. I have my, okay. you know, my, my heavy bag rounds and then like my, you know, um, sprints on the rowing machine and like slamming stuff or whatever. So that like, I do that kind of nonsense on Friday. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty wiped out. So if I, if I keel over halfway through this, I apologize in advance. <laughs> First of all, if you keel over, the really upsetting thing is there's no way I'll be able to get this file. Right? Because I mean, I, I, I can't ask your wife for it. That's right. But I, uh, so maybe I should start recording this because I would love to have that on video. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so uh, this is a special Dudes of Kung Fu episode because today, November 27th, 2020, uh, is Bruce Lee's birthday and would be his 80th birthday uh if he were still around with us which is pretty amazing pretty amazing it is pretty amazing and and not to take anything away from bruce lee but he shares his birthday with another idol of mine today is also Jimi hendrix's birthday who's a oh, famous yeah, guitar right. player and um so yeah so i have two idols this was their birthday incredible i, I, I don't think hendrix would have been 80 i'm thinking more like 60 but right, uh, right. he wouldn't have made it anyway. Let's be honest. Oh, it was no <laughs> shot. No disrespect to Jimi Hendrix fans. Yeah, yeah, it was no shot. Potentially, Bruce Lee potentially could have made it for a very long time, but uh, Jimi Hendrix, I think, was probably always on a collision course with destiny and that kind of. Thing. Yes, this is true. This is true. Yeah. So, so how are you, man? Good, man. Good. Uh, been you know working uh, on my you wouldn't dummy book and a bunch of other things. Just also teaching online. So staying pretty busy, my, my wife and kids have dumped me this past week to go down to Florida and be with the grandparents. So I actually spent Thanksgiving uh, by myself yesterday. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know that. Did you apply yeah, yourself? No, 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 it's not that big of a deal, but it, you know, I actually just, I worked. It was funny. My, my student, Dre, uh, sent me a text message. He's like, how you doing, Sifu? I'm like, oh, I'm working on, uh, like I showed him all these edits. I was working on the book. He's like, hey, you should take a day off. And I'm just like, I'll rest when I'm dead, man. <laughs> like that's right, right, right. Kind, of, kind of the, kind of the flow right now. Uh, not, not stopping. And, you know, especially kind of in a weird time, like a pandemic, uh, I think kind of staying, staying busy and doing stuff is uh, kind of as positive as you can get in terms of just keeping forward momentum and kind of keeping, keeping one's mind off kind of the crazy situation that we're in right now. And so, yeah, this is true. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Hey, Bruce Lee would have been 80 years old today. I, I, I'm, it's always one of those kind of thought experiments that Bruce Lee fans like to do. Like, what if Bruce Lee had survived and was still around and kind of what, uh, you know, I mean, it's all speculation because you never know, right? But it's kind of curious to think about what, what could have been uh, in these uh, almost 50 years uh, since he passed, uh, what what would have happened with Bruce Lee? What, what he would have done? I, I don't know if it's something you've ever thought much about. Maybe you from know, a, I have. Yeah. And my opinion's not popular. Uh-huh. I'm serious. Yes. Like I, I've expressed it before to people and Bruce Lee fans are not happy with it. Of course. I really think there would be a chain of Bruce Lee stools. Yeah. I, I think it would like, like Taekwondo. Like there's a Taekwondo school in every quarter. Mm -hmm. I really think there would be a chain of Bruce Lee's schools across the country. Because make no mistake about it, Bruce Lee wanted to be famous. 
Right. She wanted to be rich. Right. And Bruce Lee, you know, I mean, he, he wanted that name and he got it. But right. he, I think he would have wanted, I think when he saw the, the, the potential to make the income from opening up schools across the country, I, I think he would have done it. I really think there would have been Bruce Lee schools all over the country. It would have been the biggest name in martial arts. Right. It would have been, you don't train him, you don't train in martial arts. You train him Bruce Lee. Right. Like it would have been like, it would have been the Q-tip, the aspirin. And if you people don't know what I'm talking about, Q-tip and aspirin used to be brand names. Q-tip was a brand name. And I, just like that, it became what everybody calls what those call things. It. Like the same thing with Kleenex. Like it's and, like and, and, and Band-Aid, Band-Aid, Band-Aid brand bandages. You don't ask for a bandage, you ask for a Band-Aid. That's, right. a, that's, a, that's, that's a brand name. And yes. just like you said, you don't train in MMA. People say they train in UFC. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's you know what I mean? <laughs> right, I get it. But you know what? This is what we're talking about. Right. And, and, and I, think, I think people would have been training in Bruce Lee schools across the country. Mm. I really, I mean, I'm not saying it would have been poor quality. I'm not saying it would have been Taekwondo. Right. But I'm saying it would have been some sort of encapsulized version of Bruce Lee's system taught throughout the whole country. I, I really do believe that. Mm. Interesting. Uh, I never thought of it that way because uh, I, I know that the whole kind of like kind of chain of schools idea was something that he had discussed at some point in his life um, prior, like thinking about having some kind of like chain of martial arts schools or whatever. I don't know if, you know, after he had started making movies and he started to kind of earn his income through that, if that still would have been as appealing or appetizing uh because i think bruce had certain qualms about putting his name on martial arts schools especially if they're going to be mass produced because that kind of went against i think a lot of things he stood for it's interesting that you said that though i mean i'm not i'm not discounting it it definitely you know you can imagine some slick producer be like all right bruce you see what we got to do is while the iron's hot we got to talk about uh, we, you know it's some weird shyster guys like you know we're gonna put your name and it's gonna be on the sign it's gonna be one in every town right forget karate forget taekwondo it's gonna be bruce lee's kung fu right right it's exactly right tell bruce lee on this thing right i mean that's interesting i never thought of it that way i always um yeah i mean this is why i like talking to you about these things because i you know when, when i ask you what what do you think would have happened to him and you come up with this uh you know kind of chain of bruce lee schools I actually never thought about that because whenever I think about what could have been, I usually think of him more in terms of filmmaking and um, as a martial artist. And uh, I think about that and I don't think about like kind of the goofy financial opportunities that would have been served to him after the success of Enter the Dragon. And you make like a really good point about that. We you know, when you look at the financial stability of a, of a filmmaker, it's so rare. Right. You know, it's so rare for people to stay in the limelight for many years. So, like, you know, when you look at if he entered the dragon would have been a, a success, maybe he has one or two good films after that. Right. It's like, oh, you know, and now someone comes to him and says, okay, listen, we have to strike while the iron's hot. Yes. And we have to do something to ensure your stability. Let's open up that LA Chinatown school again hey, look, that school's doing well because everybody saw that movie. Let's open up another one here. And, and I can see Bruce was absolutely an intelligent man. And I think, I think he would have said, I'm not saying 
you know, he would have started off with a score on every block. But I could see, you know, him populating L.A. with it, you know, hitting all the surrounding areas. Hey, it's starting to grow. One of the, one of the guys in the L.A. school is now moving to Chicago. Hey, Bruce, how much are you to come and throw your name on the sign and give me a little baptism and right. – you know what I mean? And starts to grow that way. And almost like how Guru Dan did it. Right. Guru Dan did it with absolute integrity. And there's a lot of Jeet Kune Do schools. But let's make no mistake about it. As much as I admire Guru Dan, he's not Bruce Lee. He doesn't have the persona of Bruce Lee. He doesn't have the movie career that Bruce Lee had. Right. So I think Bruce Lee would have been a little bit higher. You know? And... I, I just I just see it happen just for the economic stability. Right. Uh, it's interesting, um, you know, because like I look at it kind of more from like the okay, he makes this big movie with Warner Brothers, and then his big move is that he wants to go back to the states. And I think, um, and I just recently kind of reread uh, Matt Polly's biography and uh, Bay Logan's book as well, and like was reminded of the fact that we think about Bruce's final period being in Hong Kong. And unfortunately that's where his untimely demise happened. Uh, but he always had his eyes set on going back to the U S he viewed like being in Hong Kong as like a temporary situation to go make some movies over there, get some momentum and then go back to the U S like it was never that he was going to be fully stationed in Hong Kong where he, he may have kept an office in Hong Kong and he may have done a number of co-productions, but I mean, he wanted to be back, in you know in Bel Air, you want to be back in Beverly Hills, and so I think Enter the Dragon was the movie that probably would have given him the chance to go back and get out of the golden handcuffs of uh, um, kind of the situation he was in with uh, Raymond Chow. Now it's interesting because there are actually examples of films that were slated for Bruce Lee to do at the time of his death which he didn't do, which were then later finished by other people. So you can actually get kind of a glimpse of some of the films that uh, Bruce would have done, uh, but they were done later by other people. And then you can go, hmm, whatever, you know, imagine Bruce in this role with different choreography and whatever. One of them is a film with a very obnoxious title. It's called Stoner, <laughs> believe it or not. And Stoner is a film with... Um, Angela Mao from Enter the Dragon, our, our good friend here who has a Chinese restaurant here in Queens, uh, who played Bruce Lee's sister, Su Lin, in Enter the Dragon. And, uh, you know, famous in her own right for all the films she's done, Tournament, Hapkido, all that stuff. And the guy who played Bond one time, George Lazenby. So, uh, because, I feel like, also interesting, I've been going, since Sean Connery passed away, I've been going down like a, a James Bond, like rabbit Same hole. thing, me too. <laughs> I've been watching them all like from, from Dr. No, which by the way, Edge of the Dragon is totally a Dr. No ripoff. Not a lot of people know that. And uh, watching the Lazenby one, the Lazenby one is interesting because he was someone who really um, should not have played Bond at all. The way he got that job was like a total fluke and uh, did this really good job playing Bond, but then didn't want to play him again and didn't want to be bound and shackled and was very- Well, there's actually more to that. He was, was just a, complete, he was a complete prick to work with. Yeah, there, there's that too, but like he also did not want to sign right, right, right. more films, which put like Albert R. Broccoli in a bind because they don't want one-off James Bonds. They want 
Right. Sure. Sure. Right. 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 So basically he ended up kind of black, you know, blacklisting himself for a number of reasons from Hollywood. And he ends up in Hong Kong, basically knocking on Raymond Chow's door. Like, do you have some work for me? You have something to put me oh, in. Oh, wow. I didn't know and, that. Um, Bruce Lee, uh, you know, knew the kind of power of the, the Bond brand. And even though George Lazenby kind of wasn't Bond anymore, uh, Bruce Lee actually convinced Raymond Chow to give George Lazenby some money because he was dead broke oh, and wow. to give him an advance on some projects that they would work on. And uh, one of them was supposedly the unfinished game of death because supposedly the day, the, the, the day of Bruce Lee's death, he was going to have a meeting uh, with George Lazenby about finishing game of death. I mean, this is kind of one of multiple stories that are kind of floated around that day, whether that's actually true or not. Um, I suppose there, there are people out there who can answer that better than me. Um, but one of the scripts was this movie um, which they changed the title later to Stoner, which happens to be the name of, I think, Lazenby's character who plays, I think, believe it or not, an American drug enforcement agent by, by the name of Stoner. There you go. <laughs> which is like, you that's pretty Hollywood for you. Yeah, which is ridiculous. I think that's more of a Hong Kong thing. Like they just didn't realize the name Stoner. <laughs> that's something right. totally different. But um it was George Lazenby and Angela Mao. And this film was one of the movies that Bruce was going to do with George Lazenby, probably under a different title and probably with a different story. But Angela Mao ended up playing the role that Bruce Lee would have played. So they had to kind of rewrite it a little bit for a female. But like, you can literally watch that movie and be like, this is one of the last maybe contract films or one of the handful of contract films that Bruce still had to finish to fulfill his contract to Raymond Chow, even though he did Enter the Dragon. And that was one of them. And it happened to be done by uh, two other actors. So you can, you can see it, it's, it's super interesting. Uh, I, I, I wonder how many of the films that, and you may know this, slated for Bruce Lee to play in afterwards, after, you know, after Enter the Dragon, were his role played by an Asian actor, starring Asian actor. Right. Because right. As much as Hollywood's known for being liberal and, and, and all encompassing, I mean, let's face it, there wasn't, there's not a lot of uh, leading men, Asian and leading men, African-American, Hispanics from that era. I'm not saying they don't exist. Right. But Especially Asian, a lot less. Uh, I mean, right. There's not a lot of Asian, right. you know, leading men back then. And, and, I, and, and, and I'm not taking, please, 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 folks. I'm not taking anything away from Bruce Lee in saying that, you know, if he would have had one, two great movies and then one or two stinkers, which all actors happen, right. all actors have that, those stinkers, you know, at some point, I just feel like he would go back to what he knows he's successful at. He knows right. he has, he has the martial arts that he's successful at. And you know what? Let me open up a school. Now, I know people are going to say, well, he closed down the school, three schools, because of whatever reason. That's not the real reason. I'm not, I'm not a historian. I'm not going to talk about that. But the reason you think he closed down the three schools is not the real reason. And I, I do think that he would have built upon his name to give security to his wife and kids. It's funny. You know, that's a real I, I, thing. I don't see him. I don't see him going back to the martial arts teaching well at all. 
his whole, oh, I don't know how much he would teach. His whole life was programmed for him to be a, a movie guy, a superstar, whatever. I think, I think even if it meant that he just had to go back to Hong Kong and just make Hong Kong films, I have a really hard time believing he'd go back to becoming a martial arts instructor. I mean, martial arts instructors have kind of, especially at that time in Hong Kong, had kind of in general a very low status. It wasn't like you're like, right. oh, this guy's a Sifu. <laughs> It's like, right, 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 right. Like, what does he mean? He drives a taxi or he's a cook? Oh, he does martial arts. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Right, right. He does my laundry. He's also a seafood, right? So, you know, I, I, I don't, it's interesting though that you, that you, you go there because I've never, um, in most of the times when I've had this kind of what if conversations, it's always been about the direction of his films and his career and all that kind of stuff. And I never thought like, I don't know. It, it never even entered in my mind that he would actually go back to teaching martial arts. I think uh, even, even if it was just with his name, uh, I, I just feel that he kind of, I had feeling it wasn't really something that he was really that interested in. I don't know. Is the impression. Yeah, funny. I, I guess um, when it all kind of, because I've had this thought in my head for years now, I've been pissing off Bruce Lee fans for this for years now. And where, where, where it hit home for me, was when I realized many, many, many years ago that Chuck Norris had a series of schools. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember saying like, wow, could you imagine what Bruce Lee would have done with that? Can you imagine like what Bruce Lee would have done? And listen, maybe, maybe he would have made one great movie after another and would have never had to happen. Right. But when things go wrong, not a lot of actors have something as solid as what Bruce Lee had. Right, to fall back on, right. To fall back on, you yeah. know what I mean? They, they, a lot of actors, you know, when, when they have two or three bad movies, and if they don't, you know, they weren't wise with their money to begin with, you know, they're waiting tables. Yeah, that's, a, that's another interesting thing too, is that Bruce was not, um, Bruce was, for a Chinese dude, not good with his money at all. <laughs> Um, I mean, he, you know, in the late 60s, when he was kind of basically a starving actor after Green Hornet, um, he was a kind of a martial arts instructor to the celebrities, which we all know, you know, he taught Roman Polanski, right. uh, uh, Steve McQueen, James Coburn, all that stuff. But he, kind of from what I've read and what I've seen, he seemed to kind of resent that a little bit, because I think he didn't want, not just want to be like the martial arts personal trainer to the stars you know right, I right, I'm sure the guy there and i think that and when he's teaching um steve but he McQueen, fell back to that to pay his bills yeah like when he was teaching steve mcqueen there was definitely something there that he was like annoyed with steve mcqueen's success he was annoyed with steve mcqueen his kind of arrogance and then teaching this guy you know like like the whole famous story about how steve mcqueen gave bruce a headshot with the signatures like to my greatest fan bruce you know, and like, and how much that pissed Bruce Lee off, especially. Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, because like as a, you know, he's kind of, he's basically his Sifu, you know, and like, you know, yeah. that was kind of prickish, right? And then Bruce gets a pittance for the inheritance from his uh, father passing away, right? His father passed away uh, in the 60s. And then, uh, you know, his father had a little bit of money because he made good uh real estate investments during the second world war, but he, his dad wasn't like crazy rich or anything like that. And then right, money right. got divided up amongst the siblings. So Bruce got like about $7,000 for, 
right. you know, in the late in the late sixties, that that was not a small amount. It was a decent amount of money, right? It was something, right? And uh, Bruce is basically behind on his mortgage payments at this point. And what does he do? He buys a Porsche to compete with Steve McQueen. Right. right. He so he 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 uses this these few thousand dollars that he gets, which could go towards the mortgage and you know bills and stuff. And he decides he needs to get the same car that Steve McQueen has because that's like part of his like visualizing his goal or whatever. And so uh, you know, during his time in Hong Kong, he he you know like everyone talks about his the the forty one Cumberland Road mansion. Well, I mean. From what I understand, all of that was under Raymond Chow's name. Raymond Chow, Raymond Chow basically bailed out Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee had a number of debts in the States with his mortgage and stuff and basically gave him an advance on a bunch of money and he gave him his car. That, that Mercedes was not a new car. That was Raymond Chow's. You can see whenever you see the photos of Bruce next to his Mercedes, if you look at it, the thing's all dinged up. If you see close-ups of it, because it was Raymond Chow's old car, he just gave it to him. It was another one of the things. Like, right, right, right. He just gave him his old car. So Bruce had like a bunch of stuff, but it like wasn't in his name. And he owed Raymond Chow a lot of money because Raymond Chow gave him an advance. So he's basically working to pay off what he's already gotten. So Raymond Chow's got him in a bit of a kind of a golden handcuffs kind of situation. And so... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, with, with some good Hollywood money coming after Enter the Dragon, then maybe he finally would have been liberated. But the question is, you know, what is Bruce Lee the guy to decide he's going to go and buy a bunch of fur coats? Like, he might be that guy. So so there, there's a whole other potential road for Bruce Lee going down, which is also not particularly positive. Uh, but we've seen early signs of his, like, you know, spending money on all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, he had a mural of himself in his 41 Cumberland home uh, house. He had, you know, the, the tiger skin rug with the actual tiger head on it. I mean, you cannot imagine even back then any of this stuff was cheap. And he had expensive tastes, right? So, uh, and he had these tastes even when he had no money. So uh, interesting right. to see, you know, what... Uh, what, what would have been, um, what I'm most curious about is that Bruce Lee wanted to make a philosophical movie for the longest time. And it started with this thing called Silent Flute, where he kind of had a script and he was trying to do it with Steve, uh, uh, um, James Coburn, sorry, and Sterling Siliphant. And they went to India and, and ended up, no one really wanted to finance it. And the script was kind of weird. And Bruce basically wanted to make a movie about uh, Jeet Kune Do the philosophy, but he wanted to make a movie that would espouse these philosophies. And then the silent flute never really panned out. And he starts making these movies in Hong Kong. And um, then he gets this idea, oh, Game of Death. But what people don't realize is Game of Death is like, you know, going up to Pagoda, you got a high, harder guy. So kind of like a video game before video games came out, right? Each level is like a new boss, right? And, and so, that was the idea that he would have to adapt a la his Jeet Kune Do philosophy to fight the different types of fighters along the way until he finally fought Kareem, which was the most difficult style of the unknown. And so that was another kind of like, okay, he can't do silent flute. He wants to make another movie about Jeet Kune Do philosophy, right? But he just had this idea of the pagoda and not much rest of the script. So people don't realize, like Bruce didn't really have a script for Game of Death. He had this idea to do these fight scenes 
told Raymond Chow, hey, can I use the studio to do these fight scenes? Raymond was like, sure. Whatever this guy does turns to gold. And he shot these things, but there's really no script idea. But you can see that he's trying to make, have you ever seen the un, like the, the, all the footage they got from Game of Death, like all the extra stuff, not just the stuff they put in the movie, but all like the John Little. No, I just, oh, I just, I've seen Game of Death, but I've never seen the extra stuff now. Yeah, so there's like a whole bunch of other scenes with two other actors uh, that were, you know, not in the original Game of Death. And then there was like uh, a whole thing where he fights Kareem, where he finds out he's light sensitive and then he starts poking the holes. And then like, but a lot of that is more played out in the original footage, right? And so, uh, but Bruce would talk on each of the scenes about like, oh, bamboo is like flexible, like that, that, like always talking about like, you know, his Dekendo philosophy, right? And there are entire swaths of dialogue where he just talks. And you look at this and you go like, oh shit. When you see the uncut Game of Death footage, you realize Bruce Lee is now a big star who can do what I want because I got the money. And now I'm going to make a movie about Jeet Kune Do. And he has these fight scenes and then he'll just talk like, you know, bamboo is more flexible than your stick. And, blah, 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 blah. and then the next scene, he's got this other, you know, moment where he just gushes. Right, right. And then again, and then you realize you go like, oh man, he's just like, I mean, as much as I'm all for the Jeet Kune Do philosophy, who wants to get preached at for an hour and a half? You just want to see people get their ass kicked, right? Exactly right. And there were moments because all of that was shot without sound. When they shot those movies, until the early 90s, most Hong Kong films were shot without sound. So they were redubbed later anyway. And when they got, my, my friend Bay Logan was actually the one who found the, the footage in Hong Kong, this lost footage of, of Game of Death, which they didn't use. And there were scenes where they just had no idea what they were saying, right? And last year or the year before, the guy named, his name is Alan Canvin, I think. He's a huge Bruce Lee fan. And he put together all this footage and re-edited uh, re it um, to make it a little bit maybe more like what Bruce Lee would have wanted, right? And there were a couple scenes where they didn't know what Bruce Lee said because it's shot without sound. He figured it out. He got a lip reader. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, like, like someone who reads lips, like, uh, you know, and, and to read, and then they figured out, and they figured out all this missing dialogue for all these years they didn't know. And it was all just like Jeet Kundo, you know, stuff or whatever, right? And, and so, right, right, right. Um, so it's interesting because had Bruce Lee finished Game of Death the way he would have wanted to, it could have been kind of a boring stinker, like with a couple fight scenes that were cool. But right. like with a lot of him like talking about the Jeet Kune Do philosophy. And I think that would have gone over the heads of a lot of people in the audience. And I think it would have been, yeah. I mean, I think maybe the best thing to happen to Game of Death is that it never got finished because yeah. Bruce had written another script, which in my opinion is the, the best of all of his philosophical scripts. I, I, read, I read his idea for Silent Flute it just sounds weird. I don't, and they've actually made Silent Flute, I think, with Carradine uh, in the late 70s, right? And it's just a very difficult film to watch. So Bruce Lee made a film, wrote a treatment, but a little bit more than a treatment, a basic outline from a film called Lam Kuen Pak Toy, Southern Fist, Northern Kicks. And this, I've read the script out. I don't know if I talked about this on the last episode. Um, so I'll tell you a quick little story. 
this was this has been the white way like people want to know like about Lamkun Baktoy because Bruce wrote this and it's about his like learning the southern style and then learning the northern kicks and then mixing them and then becoming a free man at the end when he embraced all style. Right, right. So again, you can kind of hear like he's trying it again to figure this out, but the Lamkun Baktoy is much more interesting than Game of Death. And so I recently read the notes of the outline. So apparently in the 70s. Uh, or maybe in the 80s, I don't know, somebody who worked for Golden Harvest got got their hands on the outline that Bruce Lee had written for Lamkin Baktoy in Bruce Lee's handwriting. And somebody else really wanted to know the story, like what was Bruce Lee's unwritten or undone script? And he goes, well, I can't take it. It's in here in Golden Harvest. I can't take it out, right? And so the story, at least as far as I understood it, was that this employee went and met with this like mega Bruce Lee fan. They met downstairs at a Dai Pai Dong at some outdoor restaurant or whatever. And the employee had the, the thing written from Bruce Lee. And he just, you know, he gets there, he's really nervous and sweaty and he pulls it out and he reads it really fast. Cause it's like maybe a couple pages outline, right? Right. right. The other guy, the fan, he's writing down everything and he's just reading it, reading it. And the other guy's writing it down, he puts <laughs> it away, nervously goes back to Golden Harvest and puts the thing back or whatever. And that guy who wrote all those notes, he's the, he's the reason why we know what Lamkin Baktoy was about. So apparently that was like, he was taking quick, crazy shorthand. That's crazy. And it's like, uh, Bruce goes around and he's like, you know, he, he, he learned some Southern martial art and then there was like a big fight at his school and he saw that his Sifu wasn't really that good at fighting. And then like, and then so he becomes a little disillusioned and then goes out and then learns a Northern style then mixes them. And then, you know, like, and it's very, but, the script is way more fleshed out. And in terms of Bruce Lee's philosophical ideas, um, forget Silent Flute, forget Game of Death. They need to make Lam They need to make this movie. And Shannon and the, the Lee estate, from what I understand, they have the script, they have the rights. And they're sitting on it and they're making other things that I think are, are not quite as good. And they should you mean like make this Bruce movie. Bruce T and flip fly, <laughs> you know, I made, I made, I made a joke one time a few years ago, like, you know, like, Oh yeah. You know, the Lee estate where they selling be water flip flops or whatever, only to have someone go on their site and actually say they actually do have be water flip flops. <laughs> and it was like something I just made up. Cause it's like the whole, you know, just Shannon and this whole be water thing. How much can she right, right out of this uh, lemon for, for eternity. So, um, yeah. Oh, so yeah. anyway, um, I hope, I hope that someone eventually does, uh, Southern fist, Northern uh, leg or Northern kicks. Cause that would be amazing. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I That's guess cool. any, any kind of Bruce Lee celebration or talk about Bruce Lee wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk about his death. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so, that's another thing that's just so the triads they killed them right why not <laughs> you know this stuff is so funny like today i was you know scrolling through instagram and you see lots of people posted uh you yeah. know bruce lee and like you know inspiration and stuff and and one of the um pages that i follow is like a kung fu movie page and they posted like a bruce lee photo and you know a huge inspiration and you know the greatest of all time whatever and somebody wrote in the comments like yeah they killed him because he told the secrets 
<laughs> and it's like, oh my God, is it still the 1970s for some people? It's like, you right. know, and the, the guy who runs the page, he, he had a really cool response. He goes, what secrets? Like, but in a kind of way, like, you know, th this, this whole thing like has come full circle because especially in the 70s, Asian culture for non-Asians was so mysterious. Right. Would automatically assume that there are all these kind of things going behind the, the, the silk curtain, so to speak, that, you know, you just can't understand. Right. And all oh, the triads killed him because he was telling the secrets. It's like, uh, I, I think that, that people have like a way more, their, their perception of how organized Chinese martial arts are, uh, is definitely does not reflect the reality of like, there's no board of Chinese martial arts to go. These are our secrets and we must maintain them. <laughs> Among all the different styles that we teach, we cannot just let our secrets out so easily, right? And, you know, and then, oh, he has let the secrets out, therefore we must have him murdered. Murdered, right, exactly. Like, it's, it's so kind of ridiculous that people, even to this day, would still think something like that. Um, there are, you know, a number of- people's people live their, their minds live in some Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Like, they think this shit's real. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of a sign of our, of our times. Like, you know, uh, it, it happened in the early 70s uh, where maybe forensics or, you know, like, people didn't have the same amount of access to information like they do now. If, if someone died under the same exact circumstances that Bruce Lee died in today, uh, we they'd probably say something completely different about it on the news, right? It was just like, right. it was the 70s and, and, and there, was a, there was a lot of weird stuff going on. And I think it's part of the reason why Bruce Lee conspiracy theories, especially surrounding his death, are still so prevalent is because, I mean, the man was essentially, you know, in, in, in the prime of his career, in the prime of his fitness, he was 32 years old and he just died, essentially of some kind of, well, not natural causes, but like he died of essentially something that, you know, in theory, anyone could have died of, which is some kind of hypersensitivity to a, to a pill. Although that would kind of make, so equagesic, this pill that Bruce Lee took when he had a headache, he's basically, uh, it's, it's an aspirin mixed with something called meprobamate, which is just a type of aspirin, right? And Bruce Lee, from what I understand, is the first and only person in the history of equagesic to die of brain swelling from taking it right and so i think that that's the reason why people tend to go a little more to the conspiratorial route because one they did try to cover up his death when it first happened they tried to cover up the location which already uh which was already a problem raymond chow and linda lee basically lied about where bruce lee had died and this is this is very, you can, this is in the newspaper. This is not right. conspiracy stuff, right? When Bruce Lee first, when it first came out that he had passed away, the story from Raymond Chow and Linda Lee was that, oh, Bruce was walking in the garden of his 41 Cumberland Road home and then, oh, he just collapsed and they had to get him to the hospital. Right. Like he was having a stroll in the garden with his wife. And that was a little lie that they did to cover up the fact that he actually died in the apartment of, his mistress, let's not beat around the bush here, of Betty Tingpei's apartment. And they just didn't want people to know that, even though perhaps the reason why Bruce Lee died is nothing sensational. Maybe it was just right. 
heat stroke or brain swamp, whatever it was. Some she kind was of- saving, she was saving embarrassment. Yes. And so within a day, the reporters found out that this was a lie. So from what I understood, I don't know if this is true. There was a reporter that was kind of no, like kind of being very nosy at the, the Queen Elizabeth hospital. And that reporter went to the manifest of the ambulances and looked at the ambulance that picked up Bruce Lee and saw that it came from Beacon Hill Road, which is where Betty Ting Pei lives and not from 41 Cumberland Road. And then right. it was a reporter going like, uh, isn't that where Betty lives, where they picked him up? And that was the reason why that a day later they had to go, well, yeah, actually he fell ill there. And the problem was because they very directly lied about where he died, that this then casts a huge shadow on anything else that comes out of their mouth regarding Bruce Lee's death. Even though right. Bruce Lee may have just died from a hypersensitivity to a equagesic or whatever they're trying to tell you, it might've been something stupid and simple, but they lied about where he died. And then after that, people are like, mm. what else did they lie about? Exactly, right? And so there are, there are basically, uh, three prominent theories about Bruce Lee's death that are quite, uh, I wouldn't say accepted in Hong Kong, but you have like team this theory, team this theory, and team this theory, all right? And awesome. so 